Hello, everyone. This is Michael Fanning, your host of Ask a Coach, the Windermere podcast. In this podcast, we'll tackle some of your toughest real estate questions. Each episode will provide you with detailed answers and proven solutions to some of the biggest challenges facing realtors today. Thank you for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. This is Michael Fanning, and I am the host of Windermere Ask a Coach. And this is our podcast where we tackle some of the toughest uh, real estate questions. Uh, in each episode, we try to provide you with detailed answers and proven solutions to some of the biggest challenges facing realtors today. And I got to tell you today, I am very, very excited because I have my good friend and also our national economist with Windermere Real Estate. He's been doing this for 25 years in America, is Matthew Gardner. Matthew, how are you? I'm well, Michael. Thank you for asking me to appear. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, I'm always happy to have you on. And um, you know better than I do, uh, the uh, the temperature and the weather of real estate and the economy right now is kind of going up and down a little bit. But, you know, that's just uh, my two cents. I'd, re- I'd want to hear from you. But uh, for our listeners today, when we think about, so we just finished Q1. Now we're going into Q2 and Q3. And in terms of the market trending on a national basis, uh, where do you think, where do you see it going? What's, what's kind of going on in kind of just the, a general view? I think uh, up and down, as you mentioned, is probably a very appropriate thing. So you think about the housing market, kind of break it down into a couple of different parts, inventory, sales, uh, and obviously pricing. And one of the biggest issues I expect to see is that we're not going to see inventory levels rise significantly. And yeah, they're up by what, 15% year over year. Uh, but it, we were coming off a remarkable low. The number of homes available in February was down, what, 5% from 2021? And believe it or not, 39.9% down from February 2019, the last kind of pre-pandemic year, right? So why is that? Well, in mortgage rates, obviously, we'll talk about that later on, I think, is is a big disincentive for people to sell and lose arguably the the lowest rate they'll ever see. Uh, But also the belief in the value of people's homes. Uh, a lot of times now the market is starting to revert, get back to normal. Classically, homeowners think their home is worth more than more than anyone else's in their neighborhood. Right. So uh, I, what I do expect to see is if we see inventory levels not rise, naturally that's going to slow sales. And that is really, I think, the way that I expect the, the world to move forward as we move through the year. Pricing is going to be interesting. Uh, list prices have been dropping, which means just mathematically, sale prices have to drop year over year. Nationally, we're down, what, 0.2%. But we're up half a point month over month between January and February. Why is that? Well, we saw a drop in in mortgage rates. That got some buyers off the fence. Ultimately, though, I think it's going to be a tale of two halves. First half of the year, we're going to continue likely to see further price declines. We'll then start seeing some stability in the summer. And then price are actually going to start rising again in the fall. And I, and I think you bring up one good point that I want uh, our listeners to understand is that, you know, we have sellers right now as the market changes and they go, well, you know, my house was worth so much <clears throat> back then and now I've lost that. 
and you always say this, that was equity they didn't have. And that's absolutely right, Mike. You think the funny thing is, it's all psychology. Sellers have had it their own way for how long? I would argue more than a decade, uh, 10 years of their own way. Prices going up and, and keep on going up and up and up. And they've become very used to it. They're not used to a more normal market. And because mortgage rates have jumped so much from the lows we saw a couple of years ago, affordability is dropping across the country. You've got to be realistic. So I think accurate pricing of homes is going to be paramount as we go through the year. Houses are still trading, but they are well-positioned, well-priced. Yeah, I have just on a call earlier and, and we we're talking about multiple offer scenarios and someone says, well, why do we see some with multiple offers and some that we don't? I said, well, we still have low inventory, which means there's buyer demand out there. But the problem is a buyer is not going to pay for a house that's overpriced and that's poor condition. That's and so, absolutely right. <laughs> It's still the fair market value has not changed, even though the economy has slightly changed. It's still fair market value. Oh, very much so. Very much so. Yeah. So here's my question. So if you had advice today for buyers, uh, what what would your advice be for buyers kind of moving into these uh, into this middle part of the year? That's me. Actually, I guess the biggest thing would be don't give up. Uh, we know they've had a very hard time, as I mentioned earlier, for for a long time uh, with a very very tight housing market. But I would say what most What's most important, uh, as far as I can see today, is if if you find that dream house, don't hold back because you think mortgage rates are going to fall. Don't hold back because you think that uh, prices are going to collapse by 30% so you can scoop up that home on the cheap. Ultimately, if you find the right place, certainly I would advise you, go ahead and buy it. You just have to remember, you marry the house, you hold hands for the mortgage rate. You can always refinance further down the road. But I'd also say be smart. Don't overstretch. Don't over leverage. Um, and also, don't think you can become an overnight success flipping homes just because you saw somebody do it on the Discovery Channel. <laughs> uh, so uh, I think that bottom line here is that uh, if you find the right house, go ahead and buy it. Mortgage rates are going to come down. You can always refinance later on, but inventory is going to be tight. Hang in there. At the same time, don't get carried away. Well, and I'll also add to this too, for some of our listeners. So, you know, we have agents that listen to this podcast and I would say this as well, and you know this better than I do, but homes on average going way back, I mean, have always had some form of appreciation because it balances out over time. Right. And I think one of the tools that uh, real estate agents have at their disposal, uh, specifically with Windermere, is just showing a buyer their equity gain, even if it's small. So if I bought a house today and two years from now, even at let's say 2% equity gain or, you know, 3% equity gain, where will I be sitting in two years versus if I'm either paying rent or I'm, you know, staying in my house that I'm in now, uh, but it's, but it's not meeting my needs. Right. And I think that showing buyers that and having them understand that it's, it's still a really, really smart buy, you know, even though interest rates have gone up, like you said, you know, marry the house, date the rate, um, you can always refinance. I, and you're right. And certainly you mentioned renters and there's a few other things uh, on top of what you said are the advantages of buying over renting anyway. Uh, and those are twofold. Biggest one uh, is don't forget you can deduct that interest rate or the interest payment uh, on your taxes. You can deduct, deduct property taxes for the better part, depending on where you live. But most importantly, you mentioned a couple of years from now. Well, hopefully that person a couple of years from today is making more money. Right. Guess what? Their mortgage payment it's not going to have increased in terms of absolute dollars. So the share of your income you use to pay your mortgage is actually going to drop. Unlike if you're a renter, 
you're in essence just waiting for your lease to expire and to find out how much more you have to pay for the next term of your lease. So yeah, there are a lot of advantages, even in a market which is more normalized, which quite frankly, I'm looking forward to. I don't like markets that go up by 10, 12%. But all the things you mentioned are absolutely right. Prices very, very rarely collapse on an annualized basis in this country. It's happened a couple of times in history. So I think it is certainly a very astute move if it makes sense for you financially. Yep, I agree. So so let's let's uh, flip it over to sellers. So if you had advice today for sellers, and I kind of I kind of think I know what you're going to say, but what, what would your <laughs> advice be for sellers? Yeah, we know each other too well, my friend. Yeah. We've gone we've gone back a long time. <laughs> I, I tell you, well, make, make sure your broker fully understands the market and assume that they do, which I certainly do. Listen to them. Um, as I mentioned earlier, sellers have had it their own way for a decade. And so it doesn't mean, however, that you know the value of the home better than your broker does. Market shifted, higher mortgage rates, lower affordability. Market's not terrible. And as we said, homes that are well positioned, uh, kind of the cherry puff homes that, yeah, absolutely, they're, they're selling very quickly. But more importantly, I think, is the question I get asked a lot is whether you should sell now or whether you should wait till later. And that's a very difficult one to answer because everyone's situation is different, right? right. I mean, that said, I, I, I see higher sale price in the fall, but depending on how the market acts, you might find more sellers getting off the fence then if they see a better market. And that could lead to more competition in that individual's neighborhood. So I think if you want to sell it quicker, might be better to do it earlier. If you want to get more money, I will probably uh, suggest waiting uh, until this fall or even uh, into next year. But everything naturally is dependent upon an individual's own situation. Yeah, I agree. And, and one of the, my takeaways in listening to you is this, is, and I think for our listeners out there, and if there are people out there that are thinking about selling their house, keep in mind, real estate agents don't price, the, price homes. And I think that's a, a big takeaway. Is Very that much so. The market prices the homes. Now, the real estate agents help you analyze the data and let you know. And here's my advice that I would say for sellers, you've got to listen to the market. And if the market's screaming at you that you're in the market or you're on the market, but you're not in the market, meaning that you know your home's getting showed, but nothing's happening, it's telling you that you've missed the mark. And so many times what I find is that sellers just say, well, I'm just going to stick it out or we're just going to relist it. And what they end up doing is they end up chasing the market and leaving money on the table because they're not listening to the advice of their professional real estate agent who's analyzing the market. They're not pricing the house, they're analyzing the market. And my question, is, if you're listening to this and you're a seller, are you willing to listen to the market? Because it will tell you a story. It may not be what you want to hear, <laughs> but it will tell you a story. Yeah, I think that's very, very well stated, Mike. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Okay. So here we have, so we had, uh, what was it? Uh, Silicon Bank. Oh, wow. Yes. Silicon people, Valley Bank. And people panicked. And, <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> so so the bank runs interest rates. What's your take on kind of that impact? Well, I, mean, I think actually the, the story behind SVB is, is Silicon Valley Bank. It's a fascinating one. Uh, I mean, the bottom line is it always reminds me of an old professor of mine that said, you know, if you look at anything, if it's growing too quickly, it's probably a weed. Right. <laughs> um, and that's what happened here. I mean, so for that particular bank, to give you some kind of idea what happened. I mean, back in 2019, they're about a $65 billion bank. Okay. But they were heavily ensconced in the tech market. So their deposits went from 65 billion in 20, uh, 2019, I think it was, to 212 billion wow. in 2021. 
So, I mean, that made it the 16th largest bank in America, which is massive. But there's a problem with it. I mean, they were very focused on that tech sector. And every bank is about half of all venture capital funded tech companies. Now, the trouble is with that is that these tech companies, when they make deposits, they are very big ones. And what's the problem with that? Well, most of them were above that $250,000 threshold that you have and, and I have on our accounts, which means they are, in essence, insured. 94% of all deposits were uninsured. Wow. So what, that's 93.9% exactly of 212 billion. That's uh, $199 billion plus change of uninsured deposits. So think about it. What does the bank do with that money, all this money coming in? Well, they can't simply sit on the cash like Scrooge McDuck would. Uh, <laughs> you've got to do something with it. They lend it out, but more importantly, they made money on it by investing in bonds, safe haven, they invest that money, keep the interest payments, et cetera. Uh, so because they held about 94.5% of its deposits in, in these bonds, um, what happened? Well, a couple of guys, again, you've got very few depositors in, in this bank, which is so massive. Well, they're chatting with each other on WhatsApp or whatever. Uh, and uh, someone decided that, well, how's the bank looking? Now, the problem that they had with such few depositors as opposed to a normal bank uh, is that we started seeing that tech market slow down. So you have these invest people taking money out of that bank. And all of a sudden they thought, well, perhaps, perhaps it's not as, as certain as it used to be. One person in one day took $3 billion out of the bank. Wow. $3 billion with a B, nine zeros, yeah. a lot of money. It's a lot of money. So, so we saw, therefore, all the cash and the cash equivalents the bank had disappeared. Therefore, they had to do what? They had to sell the bonds. Well, here's the problem with that. They invested in those bonds, mainly 10-year treasuries, when interest rates were around 1.5%. Well, thank you, Federal Reserve. Interest rates are now around 4%. So because they had to sell them, they sold them at a massive, massive a discount. Yeah. So therefore, bottom line is they couldn't meet their obligations. That's why the Fed had to jump in and, uh, and help them out. So that's what happened. Uh, a couple of things about that, quite frankly, is I don't see it as being systemic. Uh, meaning I don't expect to see a run on a lot more banks going forward. But it tells you one thing, which is, you know, it's the same thing that happened back in the U.S. savings and loan crisis back in the 80s. Obviously, some people don't learn. But did it impact mortgage rates? Yes, it did significantly. There was a massive move out of equities into bonds. And as you know well, uh, mortgage rates are set on the, well, these 30-year rates are set on the yield on 10-year treasuries. Right. So mortgage rates actually dropped. They dropped a quarter point in a couple of days, went down from 7% on March 9th to six and three quarter the following day. And that was when uh, the Friday the 10th, when that bank went down. So it has helped. Um, however, as we start to go forward, rates have stabilized, which you say is a good thing. They're still far higher than where they should be, by the way. It's a topic maybe for a different time. But uh, I, I don't expect them to go back up to that 7% rate and I think, quite frankly, that if you look at where the rates are today, uh, it tells me that uh, we are unlikely to see those bond yields go back up to 4%, which means arguably mortgage rates are going to stay where they are. However, I think mortgage rates have peaked. I think they peaked in the fourth quarter of last year. And I'll throw my hat in and say, irrespective of what happened with SVB, that I don't think it's going to flow through to other banks. I think rates peaked in the fourth quarter of last year. 
And so, yeah, we saw some skittishness, certainly. But I do expect, you heard it here first, that rates are going to average, I think, 6% in the third quarter of this year. And we will get down to probably around five and three quarters in the final quarter of this year. The rates are going to pull back, irrespective uh, of the silliness that happened with that particular bank. Right. Well, and and uh, I mean, the days of like the threes and the fours. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, the 3% rate, it was silly. It was artificial. It was fake. It was right. sugar-induced. Blame the Federal Reserve. Because <laughs> uh, that, that, in essence, is what happened. We are not going to go back there. Now, our rate's going to go back up to 8, 10, 12, 18% as they were back in the early 1980s. No, they're not. However, are we going to get back? Anyone waiting for that 3%, 30 or sub-3% 30 year fix? I'm sorry, you're going to be waiting a very, very long time. Uh, right. I don't expect to see them coming back up, but I can certainly see us being in the fives by the end of this year. It could be low fives uh, in, in 2024, possibly. Well, it might even hit four, but it, it's, it's certainly not going to get back into the, the threes or even the high twos that we saw briefly through the early part of the pandemic. Yeah, I agree. Well, <clears throat> and my takeaway from this talk today is, you know, if I were to write down some notes and how I could help our listeners and help our agencies, number one, you know, um, elective versus selective moves. I think that, you know, one of the things we see that still drives the real estate market is not so much interest rates and, and, and stocks and the economy, but it's, you know, people have changed in life. I mean, if you're getting married and you're living in a one, a, a one bedroom apartment and you now have two of you and you're thinking about having a child, you know, you're going to move and buy a house. And if interest rates are where they are, you're, you're going to figure out how to make it happen. And, uh, and using a professional to make that happen. Uh, if you're a buyer today, be smart, right? And and help yourself to fight inflation uh, and, uh, you know, get yourself a mortgage and get a house and start building some equity. And if you're a seller, be realistic. <laughs> you, know, you know, the market's where the market is. It's still, it's still good. You still can do well. Um, it's just not going to be where it was maybe two years ago. And that is a value that you didn't have to begin with because you're in the market today. And last but not least, I think your money's still safe in the banks, according to what you said. <laughs> yes. No, <laughs> and, it, and it really is. It's a, it was just yeah. a very unique situation. But it, bottom line is, I mean, the banking sector is going to be okay um, as we go forward. This was a somewhat unique situation. So, yeah, do not put your money underneath a mattress. It's not a smart place <laughs> for it. Uh, and so our banking system it is robust, not concerned about it. But I think you mentioned also one point uh, I heard you say about inflation, and it's absolutely right. Housing ownership housing as a hedge against inflation has been remarkably successful. Right. Only had a couple of times where the annual rate of uh, home price appreciation has been outdone by inflation. But generally speaking, if you want to keep ahead of the curve in the respect of uh, having an asset grow, even though inflation is high, then yeah, owning a home without a doubt is a very, very smart thing to do. Exactly. Well, hey, Matthew, I want to thank you for taking the time today. And for our listeners, uh, you should all know that Matthew does phenomenal what are called quarterly Windermere uh, quarterly economic reports that you can either access and send to your clients. Or if you are a client and you have a Windermere agent, they can give you that. And then he also does uh, within the Windermere network, he does uh, Mondays with Matthew that comes out every month. And in fact, the one you just did, Matthew, was on uh, this whole situation with the bank and with interest rates. So always good That's information. Right. Um, and so I want to thank you for taking the time today. I know you're busy. You, you're, I mean, how many speeches you do this year? Oh my goodness. Well, so I've done 60, 
I've done 65 so far. Um, I've got about another 20 to do, and I've actually got engagements going into 2025 already on, on the books. So it's like anything else, Mike. You know, when everything's great, no one really cares about us economists. If things go bad, we become rock stars. Exactly. So uh, it's, it's a, a lot of people want to find out, and it's, it's certainly very important. Owning a home is the most expensive thing that 98% of us will ever buy. So you've got to understand the market. You've got to understand what you're doing uh, and get it right. And that's why I think it's uh, so important for brokers and for the public to become more aware of what's going on and use the tools that I've heard you talking about so far today. Yep, I love it. Well, I know you're heavily sought after, and I know that uh, you and I are going to be together next week in Montana. So that'll be looking fun. forward to. Yeah, have you got your your boots and your cowboy shirt out yet? I don't. I have, I, <laughs> yeah, and it's cold too. I hear they got snow, so we got to be. Oh, ready. great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, everyone. Well, I want to thank you uh, for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. Like I say, if you love what we're doing, please share it. If you have ideas for us, or you feel like you could be on our podcast, reach out to me at fanning at windermere.com. And again, Matthew, thank you so much for taking the time today. My friend, always happy to, to, to chat with you. Always fun. Yep. And we'll always end these as we always do by saying be awesome and help somebody. We just want to thank you for listening to Ask a Coach, the Windermere podcast. If you found our content helpful, please feel free to share it. And we always end our podcast by saying be awesome and help somebody and make it a great day.